Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. Well, as we've mentioned, we've been thinking for the last few weeks about the need that there is for Christians to get the good news of Jesus out to the world. We've been thinking about mission and evangelism, to use the kind of jargon words, that this news about Jesus is something that matters for everybody, and that God has given us the power to speak about it to everybody. And uh, I hope there's been lots in that that's been helpful. It can make you feel bad, can't it? If um, you're conscious that you're just not that good at trying to talk about faith and Jesus in conversation. Or um, if, like me, you can much more easily think of times when you have ducked an opportunity to say something about Jesus than you can think of times when you've taken um, hold of that opportunity. That's something of how you feel. I hope that there's been some encouragement for you just over the past few weeks. We've heard that God's kingdom is growing. It's going to grow. Um, We're just invited to play our part in that. We've heard that we haven't got to try and do it by force of our own genius, but the Holy Spirit is in us and works through us. So um, there's been lots, I guess, that said, well, don't don't feel bad. God's plans are still on track, and um, we are invited just to jump back on board. But I've found particular encouragement in thinking about what we're going to talk through this evening, which is that we do this. We do this job of trying to help other people to hear about Jesus as a team the job of getting the good news of Jesus out to the world is given not just to you or to me as an individual, but to us together. And that's what we're going to see in Philippians. We're jumping into this letter just for this week uh, of the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And we're actually going to move around it a little bit, so it might help you to have it open in front of you. Don't worry about turning here, but the, the, the story of Paul first turning up in Philippi is told in Acts chapter 16 where for the first time he's preaching the gospel on European soil. And Acts 16 tells us about the first ever European convert to Christianity. And it's a businesswoman uh, called Lydia. She and her family become followers of Jesus. Then the second European convert is a slave girl who does a little bit of fortune telling. Uh, After that, I mean, you should go and read it in Acts 16 after this. After that, there's a riot and Paul ends up in prison, and then there's an earthquake, and then the prison guard becomes the the third European convert, followed by his family. 
So at that point, well, at the point Paul writes this letter, the Philippian church is Lydia, Lydia's family, slave girl, prison guard, prison guard's family, and anybody who'd heard the gospel through them. Um, And now sometime later, um, Paul writes them a letter, and henceforth I'm going to refer to them as Lydia and the gang, um, just to remind us that they're real people. And the thing that he says to them again and again in this letter is, you are a team. Keyword is there in chapter 1, verse 5. Partnership. Maybe the subheading for Philippians could be teamwork makes the dream work. And um, we're going to listen to the Apostle Paul unpack some of that um, through, through this letter. We're going to ask three questions about partnership this evening. Who? Who, who are we partnered with? How? How does that come about? And what? What does it look like? So, who? Now, have a look, if you would, at the first eight verses of the letter and see how many times you can count the word all. Give you a moment to do that. I make it six, uh, plus an every and an always. So, call that eight. Uh, So verse 1, to to all God's holy people. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. All of you long sharing God's grace with me. I long for all of you. So it's not just the leaders, whoever's leading the Philippian church or the preachers. Paul is saying, no, all of you are partners with me, he says. And in fact, if you look just over the page to chapter 2, verse 26, um, you'll see the same sort of language being used between the Philippians and a guy called uh, Epaphroditus, who we're going to come back to. Verse 26 says, um, sorry, it's just on the other side of the page where we started. He longs um, for all of you. So all Christians everywhere are partners with all other Christians everywhere in this same great task of getting the good news of Jesus out there. Lydia is a partner with Epaphroditus. The jailer's kids are partners with Paul. You with me, us with our overseas partners. Partners. Just to drill a little bit more into that word partnership from verse 5. Sometimes, as here, obviously, the word is translated partnership. You might think of a a commercial partnership. Uh, we, We work together on the same project. Other times it's translated fellowship, community, sense of a loving family relationship. So we've got to try and hold both of those two ideas together, partnership and fellowship. Now I was trying to think this week, what is an example of trying to combine those two things, family and business? And I I sort of scratched my head for a while and I thought, oh, a family business, that is is actually it. Um, I... I happened to grow up just around the corner from a family-run lawnmower repair shop um, where two brothers, Peter and Martin, ran it, and to my knowledge, they still do. Now, obviously, that is an inadequate picture of the relationship between Christians, but it's in the right direction, isn't it? Partnership, fellowship. We're a family engaged in a task together. We love each other in the midst of a shared work that we have. And that was true between the Philippians and Paul. It it was true beyond the boundaries of just their particular church. Partnership existed uh, across 
countries, miles away with Paul, who's in a totally different place. And that's still the case today. And that's one of the reasons I think it's really good for us as a church to express our unity and partnership with other believers beyond just St. Ebbs, with other gospel-believing Anglican churches, for example, or with partners overseas and around the UK, churches and organizations and individuals that we support. We're partners with all Christians. But there's a particular sense in which we are partners within our particular local church, Lydia and the gang, in our case, St. Ebbs. And that's there all, all, all over Philippians, I think. Let's have a look at the end of chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says to them, I, I want to hear that you, plural, are, that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Or just down to chapter 2, verse 2, he says, nothing could make him more joyful than to hear that they in Philippi are like-minded, one in spirit and of one mind. And then over the page, where that's not the case, where they're not standing together, uh, expressing that partnership together, chapter 4, verse 2, Paul really goes after it when it's not the case. 4-2, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche, two, two people within the church, be of the same mind in the Lord. No partners. We're a family on business. And I wonder if that's what you think of when you think about St. Ebbs or, or indeed when you think about any other church. Easy to think of a church as a service provider. We, we go for sermons and services and support. Or just a place of worship. It's where, it's where we go to do a particular activity or set of activities. Paul's saying, family on business. And it's a beautiful thing when you think about the task of trying to make Jesus known to the world that we're in it together, that we share it. It's not just on you, it's not just on me, it's on us. Perhaps have a look around if it's not, if it's not too awkward. The, the, the rest of the people in this room are in it with you, family on business. It's a great thing. Actually, back in chapter 1, you can see how Paul felt about that. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership. So who we partners with? With all Christians, and particularly um, those we're in a church with. How? Second question. Is, how does our partnership come about? And how would we go deeper into it? And I think this is a question that, in some ways, everybody would love to know the answer to. Christian denominations. How do we get people and churches working together? Businesses want to know the answer to this question. How do we get people to be on the same page, pulling in the same direction? Governments. How do we have community rather than just fractures? Well, come back with me to chapter 1, verse 3 to 8 again. And um, this will sound boring, but it's actually very exciting. I want just for a minute to notice the structure um, of, of these couple of paragraphs. Can you see that it starts and ends with Paul bursting with thankfulness when he thinks about Lydia and the gang? So verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. And then at the end, verse 8, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection uh, of Christ Jesus. Uh, then kind of the next layer in, he explains why he feels that way. So verse 5, 
I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Or verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. So I feel excellent about you, Philippians, because we're partners in the gospel. But how did that come about? Well, the heart of these verses, I think, is verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We are partners because God is at work in us, corporately and all of us individually. He's at work in us. And he never leaves jobs half done. What he starts, he finishes. And he started a work in every Christian that one day he's going to bring to glorious completion. And because that is true of each of us, that makes us a team, partners. But in fact, we, we can say slightly more than that. Because in chapter 2, as we've seen at the very start of chapter 2, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to go deeper into their partnership. So chapter 2, verse 2 again, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, one in spirit and of one mind. And in order to help them do that, the thing that he reminds them of is the example of Jesus Christ from verse 6, who, being in very nature God, the highest place of all, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the form, the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. See the direction of travel in those verses? He goes down, down, down. You ever come across the phrase one-upmanship? It's where, you know, People sort of feel they, they always need to find a way of, of just being a little bit better, a little bit higher, perceived as slightly better than all of the other people. Maybe we could say these verses in Philippians, Jesus Christ is exhibiting one downmanship, coming lower and lower and lower out of his great love for us, laying aside everything. And verse 9 says that one day that is going to be recognized by everybody in the universe as true greatness. But that humility of Jesus, that downward direction of Jesus, above all, that death of Jesus saves people and then it gets into us and it becomes a mindset. That's the word that Paul uses in verse 5. When you, when you believe and receive and are saved by what Jesus has done for you, it gets into you, it becomes a mindset. And then it gets amongst us and it becomes a culture of humility and going down to lift others up. And on that basis, that foundation, we can be a partnership. We can be a team. It doesn't arise from policies or peacemaking alone. It doesn't arise from innate niceness in enough people. It doesn't even arrive from just having shared convictions. But true unity and partnership comes when the same gospel is at work in each of us to produce love and one downmanship and humility so that we stand together as one, as Paul says, for the faith of the gospel. Who, how, as Jesus unites us 
together by his example and his death. And then third question, what? What, what does this partnership look like? That's who we are. If that's what flows out of what Jesus has done for us, what does it involve and what does it look like? Or to ask it another way, what would be different if God had said, okay, you're all lone rangers and you just kind of happen to get together on Sundays to, to spend some time together? What, what would be different if that were the case? Well, in our last few minutes, I just I want to notice quickly five forms that partnership takes in Philippians. Number one, we love each other. Uh, that's the first thing that Paul prays for the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 9. In light of this partnership that I'm so excited about, my prayer for you is that your love may abound more and more. We love each other. We've seen lots of this in Philippians, haven't we? Um, he wants them to stand together as one. He wants them to value each other above themselves. He wants Euodia and Syntyche to be reconciled very urgently. And all of that's in the context of partnership, of getting the gospel of Jesus out to the world, which means that things like how we deal with our differences in church is of gospel significance. It's of evangelistic significance. And there can be, there are tensions in churches all the time. There are tensions in every group of people, every staff room, every JCR committee, every family. And part of the thing about church is that some very different people are, are brought together. And so tensions arise and people hurt each other. And Paul says that we need to be of one mind and stand together, not just because it's awkward or uncomfortable if we don't, but because we've got a job to do together and we need one another to do it. So perhaps you come to church today and you are just nursing a grudge um, against somebody else. Um, they have hurt you and you're just kind of holding on to that, thinking, oh, perhaps I'll just avoid them or something. Think of what Paul says to you earlier in Syntyche. One mind. This matters that we stand together. And perhaps um, tonight may be the night to make the first move in mending that relationship. It's easy to see how damaging it can be when that doesn't happen. But what a thrilling thing it is when it does happen. Didn't Jesus say, this is how everybody's going to know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. People are not used to communities marked by one-downmanship. Not used to peace and apologies and forgiveness. It can have a huge impact. Number two, in, in the what of partnership, number two, we are concerned for each other. Does it ever strike you, um, as you read the New Testament, how much sharing of news there is? Um, they, they could create so much space in their word count if they just cut out some of this updates and news and stuff and made space for a bit more theology, you might think. Um, chapter 2, verse 20, uh, Paul talks about Timothy, another Christian leader, and he says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. And we've already thought about Epaphroditus a few verses later, but Paul says of him, he was distressed because he heard that you were worried about his health. 
Isn't that concern? Right at the very end of the letter, chapter 4, verse 21, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. That's not just politeness. That is a command from the Lord's apostle. Greet one another. I remember chatting to a guy um, in a different church uh, who was complaining to me about his small group. And he says, oh, we spent all this time hearing about this or that grandchild who's got an exam or a doctor's appointment or whatever it is. And oh, we go. And then he actually, he pretended to snore, which I won't do into the microphone because it'd make a revolting noise. But he's, how tedious, all of that. He wanted to get on with Bible study. But I think he must find the actual Bible very frustrating. And actually, I'm not sure that he quite understood partnership because there is a mutual concern here that says we care about each other and we want to be in each other's lives because what's happening in your life uh, matters for our partnership together. Think of um, somebody I know in our church who has got a lot going on in life um, and yet she is always the first to want to know how things are going in other people's lives in her small group so that she can pray. It's a beautiful thing and it's not just niceness although it really is niceness it's not just that it's taking seriously that we are a family on business and we stand together as one number three we pray that's how the uh, letter starts isn't it chapter one verse three i thank god for you in all my prayers for all of you he he, he, he prays Just think of partnership as a body um, prayer has got to be the heartbeat. And I assume that when Paul says, um, chapter 1, verse 7, you share in God's grace with me when I'm in chains, part of what he has in mind is that as he's there in chains in prison in Rome, as he is as he writes this letter, the Philippians are praying for him. Um, elsewhere in uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians, you help us by your prayers. Think of that. Um, story I love is um, about John Chapman, who's an Australian evangelist, who um, once said about the fall of Ceausescu in Romania in the uh, 90s, I think, um, I had a share in it. And what he meant by that was that he had prayed for it. I think he's exactly right. In God's economy, on the list of causes of the fall of Ceausescu in Romania are John Chapman's prayers. And perhaps on the list of causes of why you are a Christian this evening, if you are, are the prayers of a person or some people um, who you'll never meet. Part of how we work together as a team to get the gospel out is by praying for one another. And it may be that there's some here particularly who are at a stage of life um, where personally sharing your faith with people is just not that straightforward, perhaps housebound, caring for somebody who is. Whatever it is, there's still the opportunity for a share in work going on all over the world um, as you pray. Number four, we give. And this has been going on in the background to this letter of Philippians. If you look over to chapter 4, verse 18, um, you can see that. Um, Paul says, um, I, halfway through the verse, I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So the Philippians have supported Paul by sending him money. He's in prison. 
And um, it's a prison system whereby if your family or friends don't send you food or money, um, you don't eat. And the Philippians, Lydia and the gang, stand with Paul. And they're his partners. And so perhaps Lydia decides that she's going to postpone the big family holiday until next year because she's heard that Paul is in need. Or perhaps the jailer's kids decide that half of their pocket money that month is going to Paul. Who knows? Partnership. They want to be a part of what Paul is doing in Rome, talking about Jesus. And so they give. And um, the end of chapter 4, verse 18 says, God thinks it's a delightful thing, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is why we give money to church, not because we're under compulsion or anything, but because we're partners. This is why our church gives some of the money that we give to other churches, to other Christians, not just because there's shortfalls all over the place that need making up, but because we are expressing partnership, family on business. Fifthly and finally, we serve. Um, I know I keep mentioning anonymous friends from various churches, but um, I knew a guy a few years ago who said that Epaphroditus was his favorite character in the Bible. And um, that's because, chapter 2, verse 25, Epaphroditus had been sent from Philippi to Paul to deliver that money that they'd raised for him. And that was his job. And it's not ridiculous to assume that he may not have been that good at his job because he got, verse 27 says, he got quite ill on the way. Now, who knows? There's lots of reasons for that. But he certainly didn't find it an easy job. But um, this guy who loved Epaphroditus used to say that Epaphroditus was a gospel dog's body, and so am I, is what he used to say. I try and speak about Jesus, but I'm not that great at it. I give my money, but I don't have that much of it. But what I can do is the unglamorous, hidden stuff. I can deliver things. I can mop things up. I can fold things and repair things and so on. And he wanted to do stuff like that, not just because it needed doing or because it gave him a role, but because as he did that, he was playing his part in something of immense, eternal significance. People hearing about Jesus and coming to life in him. That's partnership. So who do we partner with? With all Christians everywhere, and especially with our brothers and sisters here at Snebs. How does it happen by the work of God in us as the gospel of Jesus saves us and teaches us to love so that we'll stand together? And what is it? Well, amongst the things that it is, love, concern, prayer, giving, serving. Paul says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Let's have a moment of quiet, and then we'll pray. We're going to pray together with um, some words that will be on the screen with a section of 
our prayer for the year um, as a church. And um, the third section of that prayer focuses on or assumes our partnership in the gospel together. So I'll lead us and we'll say this prayer together. May our impact in the world result in fruitful gospel witness. Strengthen our confidence in the power of the gospel to save, our persistence in prayer, and our courage to speak. May many in our local community and city be drawn to you as they see something of your life-giving, compassionate love, both in what we say and in how we live. Prepare the way for our next church plant and continue to send out from among us workers for your harvest field, nearby and throughout the world. We ask all these things through your Son, Jesus Christ, and for the glory